Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. God has come through again. I mean, there was never any doubt that He would, did in a big way. And always, it seems like God waits till the very last minute to do what He's going to do, but that's okay. That's just the way He works, you know. And uh, But as of Thursday, we had $20,000 that had been given toward our project. We needed $50,000 to close the deal. And uh, so we were praying and believing God, and, and uh, the Lord blessed us through a very generous gift that someone gave us of $30,000, and we were able to close the deal on Friday completely debt-free. So praise the Lord. Huge. Yeah. Yes. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. So Destiny City now owns property. <laughs> I told Becky this morning, I said, I just almost feel like going over, putting up a sign that says, rebuilding the ruins, Destiny, future side of Destiny City. She says, no, don't put that. <laughs> I'm just saying restoration has come. God is restoring. And, uh, you know, God is so good. I, I've, I've had several people tell me, I mean, well-meaning people, why in the world are you wanting to go into that neighborhood? Well, the thing of it is, that neighborhood needs the Lord. You know, they need Jesus. What better place to go? I mean, if you're going to catch fish, where do you go to catch fish? Well, the fish are. So there's fish there. We want to go catch them. We want to bless them. We want to, we want to be there as, you know, um, as a witness for Jesus. And we're thankful. God is good. I mean, not everybody's going to always buy into what God is doing in your life. I want to share that with you this morning. And, and it just kind of goes right along with my message this morning. So if it's okay with you, we're going to wait till the end of the message. We're going to have communion. That'd be all right. But I want to share the message with you this morning that God's put on my heart. And uh, it's something I've been thinking about. As a matter of fact, I mentioned it to someone the other night in James chapter 1. It talks about the trying of your faith. The trying of your faith works what? Patience. It works endurance. It works patience. And it's not an easy process when you're trying to walk in faith and believe God because we don't walk by sight. We walk by what? Faith. Because if we could see everything, if we could touch everything, if we could put our hands on it, then it really wouldn't be faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Last week we talked about what is the evidence of your faith. If you got faith operating in your life, there will be evidence that you got faith operating in your life. Some people say, I have faith. Well, they may have faith in a system. They may have faith in a religion. But if you have faith in God, you can say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the depths of the sea, and it shall obey you. That's what mountain-moving faith is all about. Faith in God says that nothing is 
impossible, but all things are possible with God. So we don't face a God who is who is who can fail. He cannot fail because he cannot lie. He's trustworthy. And so James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 in the New American Standard Bible says it this way. It says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Now, how many of us, how many of us actually, when we have trials coming our way, jump up and down with joy? We're just so exuberant, so happy. Hallelujah, another trial. Yes, I love them. You know, I love it when you have to just really stand in faith and believe God. But that's exactly what the Bible says. It says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because you know Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, we're going to dig into this in just a minute, but before we do, I feel like we need to pause for just a moment and have a word of prayer. There are a couple of things we need to pray about this morning. One is this. This, is, this was made by Miss Nancy, Nancy McClanahan. And it's for a dear sister that's going through a very hard time right now. She's facing a trial. She needs healing in her body. And we want to pray for her this morning and believe God for her healing. We have others here that are going through trials. You're you're believing God and you're trusting God. You're standing in faith. Brittany's uh, in the hospital. She's been in the hospital since that Christmas time. Over a month she's been in the hospital. Brittany Mara, our dear sister in the Lord. And we're believing God for her healing. Coming home from the hospital today, praise the Lord. (laughs) Miracles do happen all the time. But we want to continue to pray for her because she's still on the road to recovery, but she's healed in Jesus' name. We stand in faith, believe in God for that. But let's just go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like for some of our elders and prayer warriors to come lay your hands on this thing. We're going to pray, and we're going to believe God for a miracle today for this dear lady that's going through very tough time right now in, in, uh, with cancer. So, Lord, Nancy, you want to come and stand with us? You can tell us a little bit about this beautiful quilt that you've made. And this, is, uh, this is a product of, of Nancy's love here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, we're just going to pray over it. She's going to lay this. Now, what's, what's our friend's name again? Sandra. Sandra. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just pray for her. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Sandra this morning. And Father, we thank you for the love that went into making this quilt. But we thank you, Lord, most of all for the love that you have for us that, that hung on a cross, that, that provided salvation and deliverance from our sins, Lord, that also provided stripes on his back for our healing. That was love. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your word declares that who himself bear our sins in his own body on that tree that we being dead to sins might live under righteousness. And by his stripes, you were healed. And we thank you, Father, that it's done. For your word says in Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, you are healed. And we thank you, Father, that she is. We thank you, Lord, that the work has already been done. And, Father, as we stand praying this morning, Lord, we remember Debbie. We pray, God, that you would touch her. Father, we curse this thing that is in her body, Lord, that the enemy has put upon her, the spirit of infirmity, that, Lord, has, has hampered her. And, and we just take authority over and command it, leave her body in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord God, for healing her. 
We thank you, Lord, that it's done. We thank you for Gavin's healing, Lord. We stand in faith and we call those things which were not as though they were. We thank you, Lord, that it is already done because you sent your word and you healed them. And we have your word, Father, and your, your word, Lord, and, and the things, Lord, that we trust in you are always yes and amen in you, Lord. And we thank you, Father. You're faithful. So we thank you for your healing, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that, that healing has come. And that we can rely upon the promises of your word. We thank you for touching Brittany, Lord, that she is healed in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Father, for touching Bill's brother Gary this morning and healing him, Lord. We thank you that his heart is touched right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is healed in Jesus' name. And, Lord, anyone in this place today who needs a touch from God, we thank you, Lord, that it's available. We just reach out and touch you, and we receive, Father, what you have for us by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. 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 God bless you, Miss Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I'm not able to do a whole lot. You can do something. <laughs> this is our Dorcas here. She she makes quilts and aprons and things. But praise God. All right. Consider it all what? Joy. When you encounter various trials. Now, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. It takes a great deal of faith to do that. Right? Because when we encounter trials, we don't like to be tried. We'd rather things just be smooth sailing and not have to encounter those things. But let me share a few words with you here. We just do a little word study in the Greek. And the word joy is the word kara. It means cheerfulness. In other words, it means a calm delight. Count it all joy. Be calm. You know, just, just calm down. Know that when you're entering to a phase of trial in your life, that God is doing something. He's getting ready to do something. And it means gladness. Be glad. The trials are the word pyrosmos. It means a, a putting to proof by experiment. You know, when you test something, um, I used to work at Duke Power Company, and we would always have to test things. You know, we'd get something set up, and then we'd have to run tests on it before we could ever put things in operation. We'd have to experiment with it and, and, put it and, and test the experience of it, put it to the test. I mean, how many would like for us just to build a nuclear plant and just fire it up without testing it? Wouldn't be very smart, would it? But we, you know, in our lives, we have to be tested. And, and our faith is being tested. So what is testing? It is the word dokimas. It means properly acceptable after a sale. In other words, approved. Having been tried and refined. The trying of your faith is, it produces endurance. And, and that Endurance is what we're talking about. It's a constance, a, 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 hupomone, a hupomone. It means cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy, enduring patience, patient in waiting. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about, being patient and waiting on the Lord. It produces endurance. Sometimes we just have to wait on the Lord. You know that our walk with the Lord isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long journey that we have. It's a journey of faith, a journey of trusting the Lord. Nobody likes to wait. We expect God to answer us when we pray, and we should. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call upon me, and I will answer and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So God wants us to call upon him, and he will show us great and mighty things, but sometimes we have to wait on those great and mighty things to be manifested. We want it right now. 
I like to pray and just see answers, you know, just boom, boom. Just doors, just knocking down doors and seeing God work, you know, it's just so great. But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you just have to wait on the Lord. God just seems to do that to me all the time. You know, it, it would be so cool if the Lord just said, you know, I want you to go on a missions trip and here's your $3,000 to do it with. That would be awesome. I could just buy my tickets and all those things. But usually when, when I have to do that, I, it, I'm trusting God, I'm waiting on the Lord, and, 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 and God always comes through right at the last minute. This is this last time I went. God just came through at the last minute. And I want to thank all of y'all who did give to that, by the way. I never asked for anything, but there were some folks that said, I just feel like the Lord wants me to give you this. And they gave it to me, and, and I'm like, okay, Lord, here it is. What do I do with it? And so when I got there, I found out. We had some pastors, nine of them that came from a town called Tuxla, six hours away, all the way down to Chiapas where we were in Hidalgo. They didn't have any money. All they had was enough gas to get there. But nine of them got in a subcompact car. Subcompact. I'm talking about a little car. Brian, you couldn't have even gotten in it. But nine of them got in that thing and drove six hours to get there. When they got there, they didn't have any money, no place to stay, no food. So the Lord spoke and said, there you go. You can help. So we got them a room. We bought, bought their food. We helped buy the food for the conference. You know, the Lord just knew before I got there what was going to be needed. So the seed that you gave was sown in some very rich soil. I want you to know God did some amazing things. And so uh, we just never know how God's going to answer. But God doesn't always answer us right away. Sometimes we got to wait. And, and this is not a bad thing. As we wait upon the Lord with a calm delight, we might, we might find ourselves in the midst of a trying situation that's testing us to see if we have the faith and confidence in God to wait it out and allow him to finish the work in us that he desires to complete. If we can wait it out, we allow God to get all the glory, and we're better for having completed the process. Our character is being developed. You know, the waiting, it's all in the waiting. Wait upon the Lord, and you shall renew your strength. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know, this, this thing of, of waiting on God for the, for the finances, for the property. You know, I stood up last week, and I made a bold proclamation. I got home. My wife says, honey, you should have never said we're never going to borrow the money. We have to. We'll have to do it. I mean, you did say that, didn't you? <laughs> but, you know, I just felt in my spirit that we weren't going to have to borrow the money. I didn't want to. Now, is it to say I absolutely would not? I'd let it go by the wayside? I don't know. I'm thankful that I didn't have to test that theory. But God came through at the last minute, and, and uh, the Lord directed me to go speak to someone. I went and spoke to them. They wrote me a check for $30,000, and I was able to go Friday and close the deal. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Lord, why couldn't you do that three weeks ago? And then, and then when we got there, we, we're signing the deal, and we look down, and it says uh, we had already put $1,000 down as earnest money. So we had owed $49,000. And I look on the, on the paperwork the lawyer has, and it says $49,639 in some sense. And I'm like, I'm like, are we going to have to pay this? It was taxes. And... Uh, and the realtor said, no, you're not going to have to pay that. She said, I just want to do something to bless you. She said, I just believe in what you're doing. She said, I'm so excited for you. She said, I'm, I want to pay that. 
So the realtor paid the taxes on the property. So, you know, that's just God. That's just the favor of the Lord. And God, is, God has been so good. But I want to tell you, not everybody embraces your dreams. Not everybody is happy that you're doing what you're doing. I mean, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible has to be Joseph. Joseph was, was just an amazing guy. You know, he, he, he was his father's favorite. And, and I can relate to that because I'm my father's favorite. Jesus loves me more than he loves anybody. I want you to know that. I mean, I'm confident that I can say that. I say that with all sincerity. I believe God loves me more than he loves anybody. You may disagree. You may feel like you're his favorite. But, you know, from all that I've seen... I've got to be God's favorite. I mean, he just, he just blesses me so much. And, uh, but Joseph was his father's favorite son because, you know, his, his mother could never have children. And God performed a miracle. And Joseph was born. And then later Joseph had a brother, Benjamin. But we, we know the story about that. But, and just in case you don't, it's found in Genesis. But Joseph, when he was 17 years old, had a dream. You know, we, I, I, I love Martin Luther King's dream. You know, I had a dream. Well, Joseph had a dream, and he goes and shares it with his brothers who already hated him because they were jealous of him because he was favored by his father. His father had even made him this, had him this beautiful coat made. And it just says, this is my favorite son. And they hated him. You know, he had 11 brothers, and they just hated him. And, and so he had this dream, and, and, and he told it to his brothers in Genesis 35, 5 through 10. And it says they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf, my sheaf stood up. It rose up and stood erect, and, and, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to the sheep. What do you think of that dream? <clears throat> you, know, you know what that dream meant, don't you? It meant that they were all going to be bowing down to Joseph. Now, here's a 17-year-old kid. He's got older brothers, and, and, and he comes, and he tells them this dream, and they vote him Mr. Popularity. You know, he was most popular. Nah, not really. They hated him. And then, you know, he has another dream. And if it wasn't enough that he goes and shares this dream with him and stirs up their ire, he comes and he shares another dream with them. And he says to his brothers, he said, you know, I actually had a dream and not only did did all of your She's bowed down to me. And he says, but I had another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down before me. Well, immediately they knew what the translation of that one was. That not only were they going to be bowing to him, but their mother and father too. And they said, are, are you crazy? Are you saying that, that all of us are going to bow down to you? And so that, then they were ready to kill him, literally. They were they were figuring out how they could kill him and make it look like the wild animals that eat him or something, you know, and, and they were just ready to kill him. And, 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 of course, one of his brothers, I believe it was Judah, said, let's don't kill him. Let's, let's, let's put him in a hole and we figure out what we're going to do with it. So they put him in this, this dried-up cistern. They put him in this hole, and they got him in this hole, and they're, they're, they're concocting this, this thing of how we can, 
make it look like he was killed by the animals and stuff. And we can go home and tell dad that the animals got him and, and too bad, you know. And so while he's in there, they hear these Ishmaelites from a tribe of, uh, from Gilead. They were, they were Midianites, you know. Someone later on had to deal with those Midianites. But they come riding along there in a caravan and they're taking spices and stuff down to Egypt. And as they're riding along, they hear this, this caravan of Ishmaelites. And all of a sudden, one of them gets an idea. I tell you what, we can make a little money off of this. So why don't we sell him? And they, they pulled him out of the hole, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And they said, well, we can't go back and tell Dad we sold Joseph because he's not going to be very happy with that. So they, they, they still use the idea of going back and telling, Joseph, uh, telling Jacob that Joseph was killed by wild animals. And so they go back and they tell Jacob that Joseph was killed by the wild animals. And then Joseph's journey begins from that point, 17 years old. So they take him down, the Ishmaelites take him down, and they sell him in Egypt into slavery. And Pharaoh's bodyguard, Potiphar, buys him, makes a house slave out of him, a 17-year-old boy. And the boy begins to grow. I mean, he's developing into quite a handsome young man. But he's a man of character. And Potiphar finds out that he can trust Joseph with whatever. Whatever he has in his house, he can trust him with it. And he also sees that the favor of God is upon Joseph. And everything that Joseph put his hand to, God blessed. So that Potiphar's house became became blessed because the favor of God was upon Joseph. So Joseph was over the whole house. Potiphar didn't have to worry about a thing. He could just go hang out with the boys. He could do his thing. And, And Joseph took care of all of his affairs. He's making money left and right. God's blessing him, you know. And, and then something else happened. As Joseph is growing, he becomes physically mature, and Potiphar's wife starts to notice him. And so she begins to make advances to him. And one day, she just comes right out and says, Joseph, come lie with me. In other words, let's get it on. But he refused her advances. And he said this to her. He says, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You see, his real character came through right there. His main concern wasn't that he would sin against Potiphar, but he would sin against God. Because how many know that when we sin against our brother, when we sin against our sister, we sin against God himself. It's always a sin against God. It's not so much that we're sinning against someone else because love is the fulfillment of the law. And when we do something that offends or hurts someone else, we are actually sinning against God. And Joseph recognized that. His character came through. He said, how could I do this? But she kept hounding him every day until one day there was nobody home but her and Joseph. And he was doing some housework, and she tried to force him to to, to lie with her. But Joseph refused, and, and he started to run. But as he started to run, she reaches out and grabs a hold of his robe, and he left it in her hand, and he scooted. He got out of the house. But what do you think she did? Well, here she had opportunities. You know, what's the old saying that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? 
And she began to scream and cry rape. And so they come and she says, this Hebrew has assaulted me. He has, he's taken advantage of me. And of course, Joseph had nobody that could back up and substantiate his story. And so he was falsely accused and thrown in the prison. Man, things aren't looking so good for him. The favor of God is on him. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in prison. How is that the favor of God? I mean, it's bad, you know. But Joseph's character stood the test. While he's in jail, the favor of God was on him so much that the jailer put him in charge of the jail. Wow, that's like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. But Joseph was a trustworthy man. He... he respected authority he knew his place and and he gained the favor of the chief jailer and so pretty soon the chief jailer you know he'd go drink coffee with the boys and leave joseph in charge he had full run of the jail i mean that's that's the favor of god he's not in the place he wants to be but while he's in the place that he is he has that quiet assurance he has that joy of the lord in his heart he's still the man of god that god wants him to be his character does not change he doesn't lose his confidence in the lord he's still enjoying the favor of god well this went on for a long time 10 years he's in prison i don't know how long his sentence was it might have been a life sentence but he's in jail and then he makes friends with a couple of guys that had been thrown into jail. They had just, their, their sin was that they had made the Pharaoh mad. Now, how many of you know you don't want to make the Pharaoh mad? And he threw these guys in jail that he offended the Pharaoh somehow. They both had, and one of them was the chief cupbearer, which was someone who was very close to the Pharaoh. The other one was his baker. I don't know if the baker made some bad donuts or something, whatever it was. He didn't like it. So he finds himself in jail. And so both of them had a dream on the same night. And the next day they're sharing their dreams, you know, and they said, man, I just wish this knew, I wish I knew what this was. And Joseph says, I know who the interpreter of dreams is. God can tell us. And, and, and so God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dreams, and the long and short of it was this, that the baker was going to lose his head but the cupbearer was going to be restored. And that's exactly what happened. But Joseph told the cupbearer, said, listen, when you are restored to your place in Pharaoh's court, remember me. Get me out of this jail. I mean, I've had enough, you know. I'm, it, it, just, just remember me. So the cupbearer is restored to the service to the Pharaoh, and he forgets all about Joseph. He's just so happy to be in his position. He forgets about everything. He just wants to wipe the memory of that jail out of his mind. Anybody ever been there? He just want to get that stuff. And so he forgets all about Joseph. And then time goes on. Two more years. Two years. Joseph is in prison. Remember, he was 17 years old when he goes in. Two years goes by. And then Pharaoh has a dream that he can't understand. He has, as a matter of fact, he has two of them that are very similar but he can't understand what those dreams are about. And in one of the dreams, he sees these, these cattle down by the Nile, these really fat cows. You know, they're fat and sleek and everything. And all of a sudden, these seven, there's seven cows, and then there's seven ugly cows that are just 
gaunt and thin and everything. They come out of the, the, the river Nile and they eat the other cows. The only thing is, though, when they eat the other cows, they don't change. They don't get any fatter. They just stay skinny and ugly. And the Pharaoh's like, I don't understand this. And then he has another dream about these stalks of wheat. There are two stalks of wheat with seven heads on them. And this one head of wheat comes up and it's got all this beautiful wheat on it and stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's seven other heads that come and they, they're just, they look like they're just drought stricken and beaten by the east wind. And they come and they eat the other grain. And Pharaoh's like, man, I just don't understand this. And then the cupbearer happens to remember, you know, when I was in prison, there was a guy there, a young Hebrew by the name of Joseph that God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, go get him. So they bring Joseph. And Joseph prays, and God gives him the interpretation of the dreams. He said, your dreams, though they're different, mean the same thing. That they're going to be seven years of plenty. Then they're going to be seven years of severe drought. And the Pharaoh's like, well, what are we supposed to do then? And Joseph said, well, um, you know, I think it would be wise to do this and this and this. You know, uh, during the seven years of plenty, you ought to store up as much grain as you possibly can, as much food as you can, because those seven years of, of famine is going to wipe everything out. There won't be anything. But if you take care of things up front, and if you get so much from the people then, and store it in the grain bins, then you will have plenty that will last you through the drought. And Pharaoh says, that sounds like a good idea. And he says, why don't you, Joseph, why don't you be the man? Since you're the wise man, you're the one that's come up with this idea. Why don't you implement the plan? And so he said, I'll tell you what, Joseph, I'm going to make you the ruler over all of Egypt. There won't be anybody more powerful than you except me. So you call all the shots. Everybody will bow down to you and everything else. You know, Joseph had a dream a long time ago, 13 years ago. Joseph had a dream. The trying of his faith during that time, waiting on God for the fruition of that dream. You know, it, our dreams don't always come true just as we dream them. Sometimes it takes time for things to develop in our life. Sometimes we're not ready for the fulfillment of our dreams. Joseph would not have been ready when he was 17 years old, heady, high-minded, dumb, go tell everything, blab his mouth, you know, get himself in trouble. Now he's the wise man. He's 30 years of age. God puts him in charge. He acts with wisdom and integrity. Everybody sees that the Spirit of God is upon Joseph. What happens to Joseph is that during this time, his own family come to him. For food, because everything is just dried up where they are. And they come to Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him because he looks like an Egyptian now, you know. He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian, you know. He, he, he's, a, by all intents and purposes, he's an Egyptian now. He's not an Israeli, you know. He's just, he's a different kind of guy. And you know, the, when, when God is working in our life, things happen in us, and sometimes people don't even know who we are. 
We change. God changes our character. Joseph had changed from what he was. This time of refinement, as he walked through the house of Potiphar, as he walked through that time in prison, and and he maintained his character with God, his walk with God, it had changed him and brought him to a place of success and power. But Joseph wasn't heady and high-minded about his position. And his brothers came to him Immediately, Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize Joseph. Had he been, you know, a, a person of, of, of inferior character, what do you think he would have done when he saw his brothers? Ah, yeah, here's my opportunity to get even. You know, that's right, it's my turn now. But he sees his brothers, and he plays this little game with them, you know. They come to him for food, and, and you know, Joseph says, you know, I'm going to give you what you need. He says, where's your dad and all this kind of stuff? They tell him about their father and all this, and he says, you have any brothers? And they say, i got one brother at home. He said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you grain, but you've got to promise me you're going to go, and you're going to get your brother, Benjamin, and you're going to bring him back here, and I'm going to keep one of the brothers to make sure you do. And so he did that. And so they, they, they paid him for the grain and stuff. But as they're leaving and they get down the road, they begin to notice something clanking in the grain. And they look and all their money and everything's in the bags. And they're like, oh, God, they're going to think we stole it, you know. They're afraid and everything else. But they go back to their father and they tell their dad, you know, there's this man in Egypt. And he says that we've got to bring Benjamin back to them and because they've got Judah. And they, he won't let them go and, and, until we bring Benjamin back and and all this stuff. And so he goes back. And you know, the, the story is, is, is a beautiful story of, 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 of redemption, of God's, you know, tr- entrusting Joseph to bring salvation to his family. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I just encourage you to read it uh, all the way from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 49. Read about the story of Joseph, how God used him in this very pivotal uh, moment in life, you know, for God to, to use him, how to, to save his people, to save the nation. And, and to see the outcome of Joseph's faith. But what I really love about Joseph, after all of this time of testing and everything else, after all this time of being in prison and all, and, and he finally reveals himself to his brothers, he, he gets his father, he brings his whole family, you know, and basically he saves his whole entire clan. Seventy-some of them come to Egypt. He saves them. They go to the land of Goshen. You know, that's where we get that term, land of Goshen. But he goes to the land of Goshen and, and because that's a beautiful place. It's, it's a place where God pre- preserved his people. But he sends, you know, his whole clan there. And, and the favor of God is upon Joseph. But his father is united with Joseph, reunited with Joseph. And then his father dies. After he dies, his brothers are suddenly afraid because they think that Joseph has withheld his indignation from them, his time of revenge until the father passed because they were, that they thought that maybe Joseph was afraid that if his dad, if if Joseph did something to them, that it would put too much strain on the father would hurt the dad. So now um, Jacob had died. And so Joseph, Joseph's brothers come to him. And they come to him, they're just shaking in the boots, and they bow before him. And they said, forgive us. Please forgive us for what we have done. Because they know that Joseph knows everything they've done. And Joseph says, don't be afraid. 
said, this thing you have done, though you meant it for evil, God's turned it into good. God turned the situation around. You meant it for evil, but God turned it into good. I want you to know there are things that happen in your life, and sometimes people can do things to you that they mean to be evil. They can try to hurt you, and they can try to accuse you. They can abuse you and do all these things. But if you will be faithful to God, if you will be a person of true character, if you will trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, if you will just seek him with everything that you have and trust him and walk in integrity, God's going to turn things around for you. And you will see the outcome of your faith. You'll see what God has desired to do in you all along. There have been times in my wife and I's life that, that, that things haven't exactly worked out the way we wanted it to. You know, our, 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 our plans and the things that we have planned didn't exactly come to fruition. I mean, you know, we had, we had planned this, we had planned that. But God changes the program in midstream and we're like, Lord, what's going on here? But the main thing is we trust him. We trust the Lord. You know, when, when, uh, when, when Job was tried, when God allowed Satan to come and try him, Job made the statement. His wife said to Job, she says, Job, after Job had, had, had developed these sores in his body, he had lost his children, he had lost his wealth, he lost everything he had. Even his friends had started accusing him and saying bad things about him that the reason he was going through what he was going through is because there was some evil in his life. And Joseph is, I mean, not Joseph, but Job is in this position where he feels like, man, I'm in so much pain and agony. I don't know what to do. And he's scraping his sores on his body with a with a piece of pottery and stuff you know and just oozing sores and stuff you can only imagine and his wife says to him Job why don't you just curse God and die and Job says you talk like a foolish woman he said though God slay me yet will I serve him because he's God and I trust him I trust him That's the kind of integrity we need to have in our lives and our walk with God is that we hang on by faith and we walk by faith and we understand that the trials and the tribulations and the things that we're going through, that God is working something out inside of us that is of great value. We may not see the value of it right away, but eventually you will because God will get the glory out of it if you will just walk it through. If you will just be a person of integrity, if you will just trust the Lord, you'll see God work for you. Then you'll be like me. You'll understand that you're God's favorite son. You'll see the favor of God in your life. You know, I, I had someone to tell me not too long ago, says, says, you know, I see the favor of God in you. And I'm like, really? He says, yeah. He says, that it seemed like everything you do, God just puts your favor on you. You know, I was talking to, to Philip Miles, and, and he, he just this past week, I called him. I was telling him what all happened while we were down at Chiapas, the great service we had and the things down there. And he says, you know, he said, the favor of God is on you. And I told him that, you know, I, I had to call and tell him we'd got $30,000 for the property. Phil, Philip is the, uh, he's the chairman of EFI, the organization we're part of. So I called him. I was just so excited. I had to tell somebody. So I called Philip, and I'm telling him. And Philip's like, you know, 
He said, the favor of God is on you, man. It's on your people. He said, I believe that the favor of God's on your people because your people have blessed the people of Mexico by allowing you to go. And they've sown into your ministry and they've let you go to be a part of that. They haven't foolishly held back and, and said, you can't do this because we need you here. But you've entrusted God to allow me to go and to do these things. And because of that, our church is being blessed. This city's going to be blessed because of you. This city's going to be blessed because of you. God has called us. We are a favored people. We got the favor of God on us, folks. I want you to understand that. We have the favor of God. And Philip, Philip said to me, he says, he says, you know, he said, I've been down there two or three times. He said, we always have a good time. He said, but it seems like every time you go down, there's almost like a book of Acts or something. The people getting healed and people getting saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and People are getting demons cast out of them and stuff. That don't happen when I go down there. He said, but the favor of God's on you, man. I said, well, I, I, I believe that. I believe God has called us there for a time as this, such a time as this. But, but we're, we're put in positions. We're put in the places where God can entrust us and show his favor. Joseph, no matter where he went, Potiphar's house, what happened? Favor of God. Prison, favor. Egypt, favor. I mean, he could have been taken to Egypt and... But God sent him there to reveal his glory through him. And that's what God has put you here for. To show his glory, to show the world how much he loves them through you. And that the favor of God's on your life. Accept the favor of God. Did you hear me? Accept the favor of God. Know that you're blessed. I mean, a couple of folks believe that. The rest of you haven't quite got that yet. Know that you're blessed, that God's desire is to bless you. Understand this. The Word of God says that Jesus became poor that you might become rich. Well, people will say, well, you know, preacher, that don't mean that God wants to have money. What does it mean? That God wants us to be poor and not have anything? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because my Bible says that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We're not to be needers. Needy, we're, the, we're, we're called to be the givers. The problem that we have as believers is that we don't really trust God and we don't learn how to give. We end up eating our seed. God gives a seed to sow. And, you know, we get, we get a little bit extra. We run out to belts. Buy a new outfit. God blessed me with a new outfit. God put some money in your hand so that you could sow it into the kingdom. And as you sow into the kingdom, God's going to give you more outfits than you can handle. He wants to take care of you. He wants you to, to be a king's kid. He wants people to understand that, hey, this is my child. They love me and I love them. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. God bankrupted heaven for you. And I'm not, you know, you say, well, my, my preacher's turning into a prosperity preacher. I've always been one. I believe that God wants us to prosper. I really do. I don't believe God wants us to be poor and needy and everything else because the lender is servant or the borrower is servant to the lender. God wants us to be the head and not the tail. He wants us to be above and not beneath. 
He wants to bless everything that we put our hands to. He wants to bless us in the city. He wants to bless us in the field. He wants us to be fruitful. That's what God wants for us. We short-circuit God when we're disobedient. We don't do the things that God's called us to do because we're not walking in faith. But when we walk in faith, we don't walk in fear. We walk in confidence because we know, because we know, because we know that God's going to take care of us no matter where we go, no matter what we do. You know, if God said to me, I want you to go to Mexico tomorrow, I might have $25 in my pocket. Am I going to say, Lord, I can't go because I only got $25? The Lord might say to me, I want you to take that $25 and give it to somebody else that needs you more than you do. So what am I going to do? I take the $25 and I give it to somebody who needs it more than I do. And I'll trust God that when in the morning I get ready to go get on the plane, that I'm going to have the money that I need to get me there. Or however God chooses to do it, he might just do like Stephen and just... Not Stephen, but Philip. Just translate me in the spirit. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he always does. We leave that to God's hands, but our responsibility is to obey, to walk in obedience, to walk in faith, and know that God is going to take care of us. Now, we don't ever know what the outcome of our faith will be. But if we stand in complete trust of God and his purpose for our lives, we will experience his divine favor and we will see his salvation in every situation. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to work it out in you. He begun a good work in you. He's not going to stop. He's still working. You know? There used to be a song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You know, God is working in us. He's working on us. And he will complete what he started in you. He's not, he's not done with you yet. Somebody said one time, you know, I'm not yet what God wants me to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. Because God is working. So we're confident. And Paul said to Timothy concerning himself in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted in him, to him until that day. So we don't know what the final outcome is going to be, but we know that if we believe God for something and we stand steadfast and we work in cooperation with him, that Romans 8.28 is going to be the outcome. For he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God's working out his purposes in you if you will just be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you just trust God, just keep going. Just keep going. Keep doing what God's called you to do. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. You'll see. When God speaks to you to do something, don't question it. Just do it. Just do it. God's going to take care of you. Folks, I've had situations in my life. I'm not bragging. I'm just bragging on God. Okay? I've had situations in my life when I've had just, you know, I'm down to nothing. I feel like the woman that, uh, that God sends Elijah to. Now, why did God send him to a widow that only had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour a little water? And all she was going to do with that was to bake a cake and her and her son were going to eat it and they were going to die. I mean, why didn't God send Elijah to somebody that had some stuff? You know what I mean? 
Why didn't he send him to the rich guy across town that had everything he needed? Instead of some little widow that only had this, just enough for her and her son to have one more meal. Why did God send Elijah to her, to this Tishbite woman? Why? Why? He was setting her up, wasn't he? He was setting this woman up. Because if she obeyed God and was willing to make a cake for the man of God to feed him first, then she was going to be taken care of. By faith, she did that. And the Bible says that all throughout the famine, this woman always had enough. Did God fill up her her thing of flour? Did he give her more oil? No. She had the same amount. It's amazing how things work in God's economy. She had the same amount, but she always had more than enough. I'm convinced that if God would have sent 15 prophets to her, that she would have had enough in that little bit of flour or whatever she used to make the cakes. She would have had enough to feed all of them. And there would have been more than enough. When she got done, she'd had the same amount. Because God took care of her. I've seen God do this so many times as a kid growing up in our family. My mom and dad had 11 kids, and we would eat anything. I mean, if you sat it on the table, it got scarfed up in a minute. We didn't say, what are we having tonight? Just tell me when it's ready, and we'll take care of it. And you know what? We always had plenty. And we would have people to our house. I remember one time we took in five cousins in a house full of 11 kids, mom and dad, in a three-bedroom house. Actually, there's two bedrooms, and a living room was converted into a bedroom. And we, we brought in five extra kids and kept them for a year and a half. But you know what? We always had more than enough. Mama would invite people over and feed them, and when they got ready to load, she'd, she'd, she'd load them up with a grocery bag full of stuff out of the freezer. And then she would say to them, why don't y'all spend the night? And we're all over going, no. We don't have enough room. I get tired of smelling feet at night. You know, I just want to be able to lay this way in the bed, not that way. But we always had more than enough. But see how God takes care of us. What I'm saying to you folks is that the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Count it all joy when you go through trials. You know, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. Trying of faith, it produces endurance. You learn how to endure during those times. When you're going through these things and you're being pressed on from every side, Paul says we're pressed, we're, 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 we're uh, uh, knocked down, but we're not out. You know, we're pressed, but not shaken. We're, we, all these things, you know, we, 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 we understand how to walk in God's favor, knowing that you're, you're his child. He's, he's going to take care of you. Amen. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.